yesterday, I think it was. Something about tone, Jeff. You remember that? Something about tone? Tone. I had a great meeting Tuesday night, but there was a guy there Tuesday night. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. I said, man, I came to round table. You were an intimidating guy. <laughs> I'm intimidating. Yeah, he got bigger than I. Am. I'm younger than I. Am. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I didn't mean to be intimidating, and if I was, I'm I'm sorry. So you're not as intimidating, <laughs> Jeff. I don't need a mic. I can project with no trouble at all. Maybe that's why I'm intimidating. Mate, guys, we had a great night Tuesday night. A great night. Amen. For those that were there, yeah. Tuesday night was a celebration of Deer Camp, a celebration of a number of years and a turning point, a pivotal point, beginning to look toward the future in a greater way, uh, in, a, in a grander way, being able to accommodate more men at Deer Camp. As Mark handing out some pledge sheets. Uh, let me just touch on that a little bit. I went through deer camp in the uh, second or third year that, that y'all had. George is not here, uh, so I can't yeah, help you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was before before you bought the property. I know that. Um, and at that time, there were about 12 or 15 guys that would go. And those 12 or 15 guys, the kind of the commitment was they would, they would show up on Friday and you stayed through Sunday. And nobody knew came in and, you know, theory was you weren't going to get and get your feelings hurt and leave. So you were committed, 12 or 15 guys. Well, that 12 or 15 guys over the course of the years and months that Deer Camp has been held has grown into quite a community. And I think you've even said of 2,000 men that have been through Deer Camp? No, uh, over 800 have been through Deer Camp, but we have 2,200 including this on our database. Oh, database. I'm sorry. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So 800 men have been through Deer Camp. And in doing that, it's kind of hard to accommodate alumni to come back to share their story and participate with new guys coming through Deer Camp if you can only have 20 or 25 guys. So Phil had the vision and has continued to push in that direction over the last two or three years of building something better uh, to accommodate men to be able to come up uh, to the point that, you know, if you're, if you're coming up on a Friday, uh, you might have to in, participate on Friday and then go back home and then come back on Saturday morning, participate on Saturday and go back home Saturday night and come back on Sunday. Well, that, that's inconvenient for the alumni, and quite honestly, it makes for inconsistency with the guys that are going through Deer Camp. So Tuesday night <laughs> was an opportunity for us to uh, come together as a group of guys. There about 75 or 80 people at the Motor Club. Great turnout. Pledges that were made that night uh, were significant. We had at least 300 there, Joe. At least. I mean, evangelistically speaking, you must have had at least 300. That's a, that's a Baptist camp. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. you know. <laughs> the, church, the church count, you know, you, you count them and then you multiply by three. When you get beyond your yeah. 10 fingers and your 10 toes, you begin to count differently. Yeah. yeah. There were thousands that were there. Thousands. Thousands, thousands and thousands. Hundreds were watching by television. Hundreds by television. Yes, they were. In our lives. Zoom feed. Exactly. Not. The world worldwide ministry of BBF. <laughs>
<laughs> We're slipping quickly. Guys, let me just open some prayer. <laughs> With light hearts, we come to you this morning. God, we know you're here. You're among us. Open our hearts. Open our ears. Allow us to hear the message shared by these two men. I thank you so much for them taking the time to put together this series, mm. to share your word, <clears throat> your wisdom, in a way that we can understand. God, may we never take our eyes off of you. May we see you through all the distractions of the day. In your son's name we pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Um, so, gentlemen, I um, do appreciate those of you who were uh, able to be at the Motor Club um, Tuesday night. And um, so much appreciate Cobb Ware. He always tells me, I don't want my name to be mentioned. Well, Cobb, <laughs> you can't trust me, man. You cannot trust me. <clears throat> um, appreciate so much Steve Grantham uh, doing the food for us. Steve did a great job. And um, I'm, I'm going to put uh, Mahalia Jackson on ice this morning because that is the song that I had prepared for you. But you can watch uh, Mahalia Jackson singing on the Ed Sullivan show uh, uh, on your own. Uh, that goes way back, way back, brought back memories. You know, every Sunday night after we get home from church, we watched Ed Sullivan when I was growing up. Some of you don't even know who Ed Sullivan is. Until Elvis was on. Dude, I, I, was, I saw the Elvis deal on Ed Sullivan. I remember that night. Uh, anyway, I, I, I digress. Yeah, well, no, I know. Um, so guys, I want to show you the uh, video that we showed Tuesday night. Um, and I do want it to be uh, an act of worship uh, this morning. Walter came up last um, deer camp and uh, shot this. And it's just a few minutes that gives you a little bit more of the story of what deer camp is. Uh, uh, has been and what we want it to be. So may you see and hear the voice of God through this video. So we're here at uh, our men's coaching weekend, AKA deer camp. We've been doing this for 21 years and we're at Ebenezer place. Uh, God helps uh, comes out of first Samuel uh, seven and uh, God helped the Israelites to defeat the, the Philistines. And we've been helping men at this place for uh, now uh, going into 21 years. And uh, our weekend um, involves men being able to have a safe environment to where they can begin to tell the stories of their life that they've never told. And we've seen God use the confessional the telling your story paradigm that he so clearly uh, addresses in scripture uh, for men's life to be transformed, uh, to be healed, and uh, to be set free. In Isaiah 61, God gave, uh, Jesus uh, read that passage, and it clearly states that that which uh, was available then, uh, I believe is available to us now. And so we've been doing these uh, weekends for 21 years. And uh, we've seen God uh, use this place. It's a sacred place uh, to bring healing to me. Hi, my name is Clint Barr. Uh, I'm, I live in the reservoir area, but as you can tell from my accent, I'm not from Mississippi. I'm originally from Colorado and moved to Mississippi in 2005. Uh, I started coming to deer camp in 2010, about a year after I got involved in, in men's groups. 
And um, I, I've been coming for 11 years. I keep coming back because this is the place where I find life. Uh, it's the place where I experience Jesus with skin on, and I experience real grace and acceptance. And I can just lay everything out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And by doing so, I learn more about myself, who I really am, and who God created me to be. And I think that that is the design that uh, was originally uh, created for us men, was to sit with other men and learn from sages and kings on how to become a man. And that's what this place does for me. Uh, I'm now um, a proud father of two little girls, and if it was not for my time spent here at Deer Camp, I don't think I'd be the father I am today. So um, I'm excited to come here every single Deer Camp, six times a year. Obviously, you're not expected to come every single time, but the more I come back, the more I grow. Uh, I experience something new each time, and God reveals something to me about myself that uh, He's wanted me to know and why he loves me. Um, I'm excited for the future of this place. Uh, I've seen it grow from two little cabins and a small deck to now three cabins and a large pavilion and, and a shower and a bathroom building as well. Um, and I'm really excited about the upcoming potential for the pole barn that will sleep 44 people, have a brand new kitchen, as well as an indoor meeting place, which we're going to need on some of those January days uh, when it gets kind of cold and, and rainy here. So uh, I'm excited to see what the future has to offer. I'm, I'm going to keep coming back. I love this place. I love the men that I sit with at this place, and I can't wait for you to experience it. Hi, uh, my name is George, and uh, I am from Flowood, Mississippi. Good. And I've been coming to Deer Camp since uh, 2005, and um, it was a life changer from day one, and uh, I kept coming back, and I've been coming back the, the, the whole time, and it changed my life, it changed uh, how I experience God, uh, and how I continue to experience God, not, not just inside of me, but through others. Um, through the rest of the circle and uh, how valuable that's been in my life, uh, how important that's been in my life in, uh, in my recovery, uh, in my relationship with myself, my brothers, and with God. Uh, and I'm not going to stop coming until it's time not to come anymore. Hey guys, uh, um, I'm Ron Hunter. Um, I've been coming to Deer Camp now. Uh, uh, for 13 years and uh, now uh, help lead these along with Phil um, and these weekends uh, it's just really amazing what happens uh, Phil always say we're just kind of riding shotgun and and watching God do his work and uh, we we talk about this place being holy ground because we have seen God work uh, in men's hearts and lives, and lives change uh, over a weekend, and guys beginning to move in a whole different direction. Um, men need other men. A man learns how to be a man uh, by being with other men. Even if we had the best, best fathers, at some point the father has to hand the son over to the tribe. And many of us, uh, fathering uh, was... Uh, was shortchanged in our lives, and we didn't even get that initially. 
but so much of what we do, it really is this idea idea of being fathered by God. Uh, we've had it said about these weekends that it is intentional, um, masculine-driven integrity where raw wilderness invites raw transparency that calls to the wildness of men's souls. So what we want to do is put in a 6,000-square-foot pole barn, and then on the inside of that pole barn, put in two bunkhouses, um, a bathroom, um, a kitchen that can accommodate us, because right now we're just operating in a small cabin uh, with a couple of stoves and a little tiny sink, um, that would allow us to truly accommodate the 60 men that we've been uh, working with uh, for the last few years, but not able to sleep them. Uh, in the background uh, are a couple of tents because now the alumni sleep in their car, <laughs> they sleep in tents, they sleep on the porch, they sleep in hammocks, uh, on hooks in the pavilion because all of the beds that we have now are for the new guys that come. And so the alumni will oftentimes even drive home uh, to Madison and come back. What we want to be able to have is a facility that men can come and be here for the whole weekend, not only to learn um, and grow in their own life, but to support especially uh, the pledge class, if you will, the new guys that are here. So we're excited uh, about what could be, um, and we believe that it will facilitate a better opportunity for men uh, to hear the gospel and to have their lives changed uh, by the environment at the Ebenezer Place. So I appreciate Walter uh, putting that together. Uh, thank you, Walter. In Genesis chapter 28, as I shared on Tuesday night, Jacob comes to a certain place. God appears to him, and he wakes up from the dream after he's had an experience with God, and he says, this is an awesome place because God is here. And we believe that to be the case with Ebenezer Place, a certain place becomes an awesome place because God shows up. And what we want to do is to make it a better place. So we want uh, to ask you to help us take this certain place that God has made an awesome place into a better place. And so there on your um, table there is a pledge card. We passed these out Tuesday night and uh, raised over $48,000. Um, and so we're on our way to being able to uh, make Ebenezer Place a better place, and we ask that you would uh, give what you can. Our prayer is that a thousand guys would give two hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, if you can give more, obviously that's even more better, um, because I do believe that there are guys who will and have given more than two hundred and fifty. But just as a baseline, our prayer is a thousand guys would give 250. I'd ask you to, to consider at least that and um, fill it out this morning. I'd like everybody to fill that out. Uh, and even if you just say, I'll pray about giving, um, fill it out, put something on the piece of paper uh, this morning. Um, and then Mark, if you'll collect them um, in, just a, um, uh, in just a minute, uh, but everybody respond, please. Thank you. 
Yes, yes, thank you, Scott. Every time I pass this out, I expect you to respond. Thank you, Scott. You're going to be disappointed. Fair enough. Fair enough. Very good. Uh, I always love my brothers who ask the obvious questions because I don't seem to be clear on the obvious. So thank you. Captain Obvious. Captain Obvious. <laughs> be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we dig in to Marine Jesus. Marine Jesus, he is always... He is with you always, just like your rifle, quote, unquote, Marine. Simplify, always faithful. To be a Marine means a daily commitment to live up to the highest standards. Being a Marine means to be ever accountable to the warrior ethos, which adheres to these fundamental truths. Character counts. Honesty is incorruptible. And integrity means everything. We need our Christian commitment to be more Marine-like than what our culture has made Christian men to be. Jesus modeled a warrior-like character. When we discover his true character, we uncover the real Jesus. A true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and our greatest happiness. This study will help us be the men God designed us to be, men willing to initiate, take responsibility, and fight for a cause greater than ourselves, Simbify. <laughs> Guys, this past week, um, Ron and I were in Orlando at the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference, uh, more than 5,000 counselors and counselor wannabes. And I appreciate so much, Jeff, you pitch hitting last week. Uh, I heard it was outstanding. Uh, God used you. And in our time, uh, I mean, I, I feel, uh, uh, as I mentioned on Tuesday night, inspired. I mean, you've got the who's who of Christian counseling them um, and all kinds of new opportunities. And uh, many of you have been to trade shows and conventions, and you know that part of not only the presentations is also the exhibits and the uh, dog and pony shows that everybody's uh, pushing. <laughs> and um, I told Ron that it felt a little bit like, you know, you, you go out and you buy this car that seems to be so unique. And then you buy this car and then you drive it home. And on your way home, it seems like, oh, my goodness, everybody's got one of these. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is that we're doing this series and so much of what we experienced at the conference dovetailed into what we're talking about with Marine Jesus. Um, and in one of the special presentations, and I'll let Ron tell you a little bit about uh, this was um, uh, we're going to show some videos of general Jerry Boykin, but tell them a little bit about that, Ron. Yeah. Um, he was one of the uh, plenary speakers, which that means in the, in the big room with all, 5,000. I think it was a little over six on the official count. Normally they have about 8,000. I think 000. it's got to be 8,000 now. Well, it's, it's about 8, it keeps going up. Yeah, exactly. But 
but normally it is around 8,000, but because of COVID, uh, thank you, COVID, uh, there was just a little over 6,000 people. Um, and uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin was one of the speakers, uh, and he is an old Army guy. Uh, one of the best things about his, his, his speaking uh, was how he made fun of Marines, right? I mean, that was it was hilarious. Uh, I mean, who sits up there and makes fun of Marines? Well, a guy that was one of the original founders and commanders um, of the um, of the uh, Army, Army Rangers. Rangers yeah. uh, that's who sits up there and does that. <laughs> and uh, he now works for the uh, Family Research Council in Washington, uh, part of James Dobson's uh, organization. And uh, just it's just incredible when you sit with a guy like that uh, and, and you hear the experiences uh, that he's been through and certainly uh, what he's learned uh, in his journey on what it really means to lead men. And uh, it, it was powerful. Mm. Uh, I got three of his books. Uh, I've just really started with this one. Uh, it's called The Warrior Soul, and it's uh, by uh, Jerry Boykin and Stu Weber. Uh, Stu Weber has written some great men's book, uh, men's books, and he is an, uh, an old soldier as well. Uh, but one of the things I just wanted to share, just a quick piece out of this, uh, I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday night. Uh, Phil always gets really nervous if I start talking, if I just say anything about church. I think it's just his old East Tennessee growing up and, and Mama Ella May getting really upset. Now, Ella May now Phil, like Phil, you just be nice, you know. And um, so he, he his butt kind of puckers a little bit. I always start talking about church. However, I think we need to be talking about church. Because if you look around at our culture, and you know, I always say, I sit with good Christian couples and good Christian people. I'm not driving over to shuckers and loading them up on my bus, right? <laughs> and where we are in our culture with this idea of honor, integrity, uh, morality, our culture is lost. And so, yeah, I do talk about the church because I can drive to my office a certain way, not really out of my way, and I've counted. I can drive by eight, uh, I'd call it nine, because uh, one of them is a startup church, and they've got their sign planted. And I just go, what are we doing? When you look at the culture, what are we doing? And this past summer, even I went to a wedding and ah, it's a big church and they got the stained glass, big giant stained glass picture thing above the pulpit behind it. And it's a picture of, I call it Mamby Pamby Jesus, because he's got his little therapy lamp, right? Jesus and his little therapy lamp. And I sit there and I just go, there's a, there he is. Thank you, Jeff. And I, I mean, I kind of have to fight back a little. I, I kind of want to throw up, right? That's not the Jesus that I love. That's not the Jesus that I follow. Let me just read you this piece out of his book. 
In my own struggling journey down the path of transcendence, uh, it led me to Christ in a very personal way. I now fully believe there's no more beauty-filled place on earth than the high ground of Calvary, where the battle of the ages took place between the champion of heaven, Jesus Christ, and that evil denizen of hell itself, Satan, the adversary of our souls. Calvary, the centerpiece of the Bible, and that to which every biblical story and major character points to, is the scene of the most outlandish combat in history. You already read in earlier pages in this book that the first note of that gigantic battle is on virtually page one of the Bible, Genesis 3. And that the first hint of Messiah pictures him as a wounded warrior struck on the heel. And that in the process of his own wounding, which ultimately could not keep him in the grave, the Messiah dealt an eternally lethal wound to Satan's head. Mm. You already know that a final picture of Jesus, this is the one I want in stained glass, in Scripture has him mounted on a white horse, wearing a blood-spattered robe and wielding a sword with which he both launches and terminates the actual war to end all wars. Mm. Yeah. That's Amen. the image of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ron. So, guys, pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Let's engage. Too much passivity, mm. too much avoidance, and too much anger in men. Let's initiate, take responsibility, and fight for a cause, not fight with those that we love. Three questions I want you to consider this morning. When was the first time that you remember truly understanding who Jesus is? Again, those of us who grew up in church, I want to push you beyond that. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for the little country church uh, that I grew up in. And LMA had me in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. But you know how I would answer that question? When was the first time that you remember truly understanding who Jesus is? And that was in the midst of uh, my uh, full surrender to God at the University of Tennessee after uh, being way, way, way too much like the uh, prodigal son. And I was in a pool of tears, boo-hooing my way into the kingdom. And the second great memory that I remember was having a hospital bracelet around my arm in a mental health facility and coming to grips with who I was and who Jesus was in the midst of the most broken time in my adult life with two baby girls and a wife that were scared to death, wondering what had happened to husband and daddy. And Jesus met me in a mental hospital. It always makes me think of that great scene in Patch Adams. Remember the scene in Patch Adams when he's in the mental hospital and the doctor helps him to see, you know, the fingers in a healthier way. It was like, you've got to see something different. And God showed up in a mental hospital. I think for me, um, well, I know for me, the uh, first time uh, Jesus became, became real uh, was about three weeks after I'd gotten my DUI when I was at Mississippi state. Mm. 
right? Me and Johnny Cash spent the night in the Starkville City Jail. And um, uh, about three weeks later, I was down. Um, uh, it really kind of, man, it just did a number on me. It wasn't like somehow I'd let the family name down or I'd brought shame to the family, right? And my middle brother, by that time, I think he probably had three or four DUIs. So that wasn't it. Uh, but it was just, man, God was was wooing me, calling me in the midst of just this uh, kind of terrible place, feeling bad about spending the night in jail. And uh, that's when my sweet little Baptist wife, uh, well, she was my girlfriend then, uh, she led me through the sinner's prayer. And Jesus became very real mm. at that moment in mm. my life. Mm. I didn't grow up with LMA. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't drugged. To, I didn't have a drug problem. I didn't get drugged to church. But Jesus became real for me on that day. Amen. Amen. So question number two, when have you seen, when have you seen, experienced Jesus' work that you were impressed that only Jesus could do this? Hmm. And guys, that question um, is a um, confronting of a knowledge-based faith versus an experiential-based faith. You know, we call our Christian faith having a personal relationship with Jesus. We, we use that phrase a lot. Um, but when have you really seen Jesus? When have you felt him? First John chapter one, I love those first four verses. Mm. That which we saw with our own eyes, that which we experienced, that which we touched with our own hands makes our joy full. And that's what we mm. want for you. That's the paraphrase of those first four verses. And guys, where I would answer this question for the last 21 years on a consistent <laughs> basis is Ebenezer requests. Um, the greatest possession that I hold dearly in my heart are the lives of you and hundreds of others who have felt Jesus, seen Jesus, experienced Jesus. Um, and all too often, we think if we know enough and we think right, that somehow our heart will be changed. You know, uh, the theologians call that Gnosticism. Uh, I mean, that's that's been going on uh, for hundreds of years in, in the in the church, and it's not Gnosticism uh, that changes your heart. It is a personal encounter mm -hmm. with the living Jesus, and I see that at Deer Camp. Yeah, during the video, Phil leaned over and showed the little clip or picture of the guy sitting in the circle uh, in the pavilion. It's like, man, every time I just see that, I just I get chills. And uh, he and I share that uh, because it is, as Phil says, man, when you get to sit there and, and experience it and see it, taste it, smell it, I mean, it. It is real. You know, if you put yourself in the story of Jesus and get out of this kind of head knowledge, like literal words on a page, 
and experience the emotions that must have been Jesus was human, fully human, just like you, just like me. And he's sitting with fully human dudes, right? Broken guys. And they're sitting around a campfire, walking out through the countryside, telling stories, talking about life. That's the story. And put yourself in the emotion of that. Mm. That's the reality of Jesus. Mm. That's the, I even hate that word, personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's so over, it's just trite. There's so much, it's an intimate love connection with the creator of your soul. Mm. Jesus is the lover of our souls. Mm. Okay, let's start saying that and get beyond this triteness. So question number three, pen to paper, respond to this question. What do you want Jesus to do in the future for you or another person? What do you want? What do you desire that Jesus would do in you? I'm going to shut up. I'm going to try to keep Ron quiet for a minute. I want you to respond to that. What do you want Jesus to do in the future for you or another person? So, guys, what I want God to do is to bring more men into our men's community. More men like you, more men like me who are broken. And that God, uh, in the midst of our brokenness, makes himself clear. Because that is how we come to Jesus, I think. Um, Jesus came to free the brokenhearted. Um, and that's you and me. He didn't come to make those who don't have a need uh, more successful. It is in our brokenness. All, oftentimes, it's the hardest time of our life that we come face to face with our need, and Jesus meets us right there. So turn over to John chapter 1. Let's dig in. Let's get a picture of Jesus. Jesus, what does he look like? And I want to suggest to you, he looks like Marines coming to help somebody in distress. I want you to watch this. Jesus showed up in a flood. Watch this. <laughs> so we're here at uh, our men's coaching weekend, a.k.a. Not Jesus. It's not, <laughs> that ain't Jesus.
Amen. Mm. You know, uh, that mother is in that car, and um, if she didn't know better, she would think that um, Jesus showed up in the form of four Marines. And I think that's the way it works. Jesus shows up um, and meets our needs. So turn over to John chapter 1. We get another um, picture of Jesus in his rich personality. And I want you to feel your way through this passage. Emotionally, see it with the eyes of your heart. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, may you see with the eyes of your heart. Let's don't just think it, let's feel it. Verse 43 Chapter 1 of John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And when he got there, he ran across Philip and said, Come, follow me. And Philip's hometown was Bethesda, the same as Andrew and Peter. And Philip went and found Nathaniel, good old Nathaniel. And he told him, We found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. And Nathanael said, Nazareth, you've got to be kidding. Elizabethan, are you kidding? Hillbilly? You know, Macon? Mississippi? East Delta? No. No. Nazareth, you've got to be kidding. But Philip said, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. I, I love just that phrase. He didn't say, you know, let me give you a book. Read this book. You know, he said, come and see. When Jesus saw him coming, he said, now there's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. I think Jesus was kind of poking at him. You know, there, there's a real Jew, you know. And Jesus' personality, I think Jesus had a great sense of humor, <laughs> a real personality. You know, if we're not laughing at you, we don't like you. You know, in a men's group, if we can't laugh at each other and laugh at ourselves and poke fun at each other, we really don't like you. And we'll talk about you later on. <laughs> and if you really make us mad, we'll put you on the prayer list at church. <laughs> Nathaniel said, where did you get that idea? You don't know me. And watch what Jesus does. Jesus answered, one day long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. I've been watching you all of your life. Everything that's ever happened to you I have been there. Every failure, everything that you're ashamed of, and you don't want to tell anybody, I've known it all along. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. If you know all about me, and you've seen me, and you can tell me all those stories that I've hidden, then you must be the Messiah. And then watch what Jesus does. This is hilarious, I think. Jesus said, 
you've become a believer simply because I saw you one day sitting under the fig tree. You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending to the Son of Man and ascending again. It's like Nathaniel, dude, you ain't seen nothing. You, you're impressed because I have been uh, watching you all of your life and I knew you even under the fig tree. What are you going to do when I turn water into wine? What are you going to do when I heal the father's son in Capernaum? What, what are you going to do when I heal the paralytic? What, what are you going to do when I feed 5,000 people? What are you going to do when you see me walk on water? You ain't seen nothing. What are you going to do when I heal that blind man? And what are you going to do when I raise a dead man, Lazarus? Wow. You ain't seen nothing yet. Now, guys, that's Marine Jesus. That's the Jesus that I'm in love with and that has spoken into my life and changed my life. You ain't seen nothing yet. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? You ain't seen Guys, as Grandma says, save your fork. The best is yet to come. It's called dessert. You know, that conversation happens many times, even at deer camp. A guy walks up on the deck uh, for the first time. He's just shown up. And, I mean, you can just see it. I mean, he just, he might as well have a neon sign over his head that just says, shame, shame. And then just even before we kind of get into the, you know, uh, the main pieces on Saturday, uh, oftentimes, even on Friday night, a guy will share something just, you know, out of his journal, first time he's ever talked in front of a group of men or something. And somebody will say to him, like, dude, you're a good man, right? We see you. And the guy goes, no, man, you, you just, you don't really know me. It's the same exact conversation. And then we'll sit there and go, dude, just hold on. You, you, you're going to like Saturday night. Amen. Right? You ain't seen nothing yeah. yet. And it, it's it's the same exact conversation. It really is. Yeah. It really is. I, I, I often call <clears throat> Friday afternoon uh, at, at deer camp is fire hydrant time. You know, everybody's kind of walking around the fire hydrant marking their spot like a bunch of dogs you know they're scratching sniffing you know talking about football and you know a little nervous and should i get my car now and leave you know they're scared lot, to death scared to death you know that's why, that's why some of you hadn't been there and 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 then by sunday like blair johnson giving me a hug and crying and crying i mean who would ever thought blair johnson would be hugging another man and crying it happened. I saw it. I was there with my own eyes. Unbelievable. Um, you know, I've I, I have pointed you guys toward Eric Metaxas uh, several times. Uh, Eric Metaxas, you need to be listening to his podcast. Uh, it's a great um, uh, uh, um, resource in terms of all kinds of different input. I listened to his podcast this past week. Um, and he had two guys, Keith uh, Gunta and Kenny Shat, um, on there, and, and they were uh, part of the ministry called Wipe Every Tear. And you know what Wipe Every Tear does? They rescue women trapped in the sex trade in the Philippines. 
Now that is Marine Jesus. <laughs> and they told the most incredible story that parallels this story with Jesus and Nathaniel. You know, Jesus is telling Nathaniel, I saw you before I saw you. I, I, I've, I know your story. And Keith and Kenny with Eric Metaxas were telling the story that they uh, have a prayer room and they pray. And as God brings names of these women who are um, um, trapped in the sex trade to their hearts and mind, they take a magic marker and they write it on the wall um, of the prayer room. And then they go out and they find that woman, God gives them the name before they go out. And I'm listening to this like, no, that ain't a Sunday school class. Guys, that's incredible. He gives them the name. Go get Susie. Go get Betty. And they go. That's Marine Jesus. Amazing. 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 Mm -hmm. So act like a man. Now, we've touched on initiate, take responsibility, and fight. That's kind of in your outline, and you can kind of detail that. And um, Ron's going to kind of take us very quickly through three more pieces here. Yeah, just those next three pieces, you know, number one, or the number four, uh, life is hard. Um, that comes from a study done of uh, initiation rites uh, all over the uh, it was a Catholic priest, Father Richard Rohr, went and studied these tribal rituals in, in certainly uh, most, well, third world countries, because in our Western culture, we don't have that. Uh, it's one of the reasons our culture is so in trouble, because there's no initiation rites from boyhood to manhood, except, hey, here's your car key, son, you know, go find, get you some beer and find a girl. I mean, that's our initiation rites here. Whereas these are real, you know, you got to go kill a lion, a bear, you got to do something real. And there are five themes that come out of that. And the number one theme is life is hard. And I think that speaks that 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 covers a lot of ground just in that one statement, right? If you kind of are going to just sit around and do the woe is me and go victim and like it's not fair, it's not supposed to be this way. Uh, in order for a boy to become a man, he's got to learn life is hard. Mm. Jesus told us that you're going to have suffering. And if you follow me, uh, it's, it's coming. And you look at what happened to his disciples. Uh, it, it, it wasn't easy. Life is hard. Mm. Second one is you're not that important. That's another one that comes out of it. Oh, just again, touching on the Christmas story, you know, I always like the Ricky Bobby prayer, dear little sweet little sweet little baby Jesus <laughs> and the Christmas cards and all the BS, right? Because it was not that way <laughs> in, in the historical truth of when Jesus was born. It was dirty. It was messy. Uh, it was hard. I mean, <laughs> they were being chased. You know, they were going to murder all the babies, Herod. And it's like, that ain't like some sweet little Christmas card. You're not that important. And again, in this Warrior Soul book, uh, he talks so much about, you know, the, the one great important lesson that a true soldier has to learn is the idea of sacrifice. 
and um, it, it is you know truly laying down your life uh, for something bigger than yourself. Mm. Um, but man, we just get self-important and self-absorbed, and we think life's all about us. Mm. And then this idea of a a personal intensity. Jesus was eager for challenges and undistracted by personal issues. On the outside, we wear our camouflage well, but on the inside, deep within our souls, we realize life is conflict. A man must have a personal intensity and integrity that drives his mission. Mm. Because without integrity, I don't care what your mission is, uh, you're going to fail. And that's this whole idea of like, we call it in Bible speak, church speak, discipleship, uh, sanctification. Uh, uh, I mean, there's all kind of words we could put to that, but it's ultimately, you know, God's one big goal for us is to develop in us the character of Jesus Christ. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Marine Jesus, I want to follow him. I want to allow him to use me um, in his mission. He's called us to a great story, his great story, his redemptive story, and he allows us to play a part. Will you? Will you? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, so much for giving us a clear picture of who you are. Help us to see you with the eyes of our heart. Help us to see you as you are, not as our culture uh, has made you. Lord, may we follow uh, biblical Jesus, marine Jesus, hmm. uh, the, the Jesus that you sent in grace and truth to invade this world to bring freedom to broken men and women. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So guys, what I'd ask you to do before you leave is just fold your blue sheet, pass it to the end, and all the guys sitting on the end, bring those sheets up here to Mark, please.